Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule, with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer. Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule, with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer. This is the Kingdom Encounter Podcast with Glenn Blakeney. Now, I want to start off by sharing about a dream that I had a few years ago. And I want you to see the correlation between the time we're living in now and when I had that dream. I also want to share about an encounter I had with God several years ago, in fact, over 15 years ago, and the Lord spoke to me about the time that we're living in. I did not understand it then. So the dream is basically this. I see all these people. It's like a, a sea of humanity. And as I look in my dream, I can see that most of these people are they're, they're falling, they're, they're collapsing, and they're under this pressure, and, and they're not able to stand upright. It's just like they're, the, some of them are bent over, some of them are stooped down, and there's even a few that have been cl- collapsed, and they were just prostrate on the ground. And when as I'm watching this, it becomes, it's evident in my spirit, I know that the Lord is saying that what is happening is there is this oppression, there's this spiritual darkness that is pressing down on them and they're not able to stand up and I become very apparent to me that these are believers, these are Christians. And then right after that, it's like the camera kind of pans and then zooms in and I see kind of interjected in, in the midst of this crowd, I see different individuals who are standing upright, they're walking, they're moving forward and this darkness, this oppression seems to have no effect upon their lives and as I look at them closely, I can see that there's like a light around them and it's almost like this force field, you know, this shield that's protecting them. And then as, as I'm in the midst of this dream, I hear, I hear this, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord is risen upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. Isaiah 60 verse 1 and 2. And the Lord says to me, son, the days are coming when those who are good will not be able to stand. Only those who walk in my glory will stand because dark days are coming. Boom, that's it. The dream's over. 
And I become aware that being good is not enough. There's a lot of believers that are good. They're good people. They're church-going people. They're moral. They give their money. They, they pray a bit. But they've never taken the deep dive, so to speak, into the glory realm of God. And when you look at the Scripture, one of the things that becomes apparent when you read it is that only those who are in the glory and carry the glory are the ones protected by evil. Zechariah 2.5, the Lord says that I will be a wall of fire around my people and the glory therein in the midst. I will be that wall. You see, when we look at this, we recognize that God hasn't called us to be good. He's called us to be glorious. God has called us to live in the spirit realm. God has called us not to be just a good person. Being a good person is boring. It's boring. Come on. But learning how to live and walk in the presence of God makes all the difference. Moving and shifting into the glory realm. When the plague broke out in South Africa about 100 years ago and John G. Lake was there, and people were dropping like flies left, right, and center. And, and doctors were, were being sent there to, to study what was going on and to bury the dead. They came and they found John G. Lake burying people. No face masks, no gloves. He's burying people and the doctors are like, what is going on? How come you're not sick? And they watched him closely and they came to realize that John G. Lake, he said, look, God's presence and glory protects me so that I don't get sick from this. Of course, many of these doctors, these physicians, scientists, scoffed at him. And he said, well, let me show you something. He said, I want to show you something. So they took a microscope and John G. Lake said, I want you to put this live virus, whatever it is, under this microscope. And I want you all to watch what happens when I touch it with my bare hands, with my finger. As they were watching these scientists under the microscope, John G. Lake, as soon as he touched it, it died. Think about Jesus. In the Old Testament, if you touched a leper, you were unclean. In the New Testament, when Jesus touched a leper, they were made clean. Jesus was not afraid. He did not say, I cannot help because I've got to observe the Levitical ceremonial laws here, the purity rites, the purification rites. He said he would reach and he would touch them and say, be cleansed. We know that when Jesus was on the earth, that he walked in the glory of God. Remember the scripture and how it talks about how they, they would reach out to him and they would touch him and, and when they did, you know, they would be healed. You know, it's, it's a powerful, powerful thing that 
He said, who touched me for, he said, virtue has left me. Virtue has left me. So there's a place in the Gospels where it actually says that Jesus, they would reach out to him and they would touch him. And as they did, they were all healed as virtue was leaving them. Often we think about the woman with the issue of blood and how she did that and she touched Jesus and was healed. But guys, that's just a single incident. If you read what the gospels say carefully in Matthew's account and in Luke's account, it says that on a regular basis, people would reach out to Jesus, even multitudes, and as soon as they touched him, they were healed. Guys, there's this thing called the, called the anointing. The word virtue is, is dunamis. It's the word that we often translate power. But do you know in the account, both in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, when Jesus went to Nazareth, one account says he did not do any mighty works. Another said he could not do any mighty works. That word translated mighty works is dunamis. It's dunamis. Some modern translations translate it miracles. He could not do any miracles. It's dunamis. Acts 1.8 says you will receive dunamis when the Spirit of God comes upon you to be witnesses unto me. Now I know this sounds crazy to the natural man. But we're not called to be natural. We're called to be supernatural. We are not called to act like mere men. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, why do y'all act like mere men? We're called to live differently. We are not sinners saved by grace. Oh! Let me, let me say, I'm going to say something here. People are like, what are you saying? Listen to me for a second. We were sinners. Do you know the Bible says that we are saints? We are saints, which comes from the Greek word hagios. It's translated holy in English. It's translated sanctified. It's translated saint. Do you know that the word hagios actually means, when you do a study in the etymology, and you will not find this in a Strong's Concordance, but if you dig deep, you'll find out what I'm saying is true. The word hagios literally means this. Are you ready? Let's break it down. Come on, I'm going to geek out for a moment. Let's break it down. The root word is gi in Greek. Gi means dirt, soil. Of the earth. Ha or ah is an antecedent which negates. What does it mean? It means this. Hagios means not of the earth, not of the dirt, not of the soil. Holy, we are not of the earth, we're not of the dirt, we're not of the soil, we are not the son of Adam, we're sons of, Christ, of God Almighty. First John 3, 9, his divine nature is in us. Peter, he, we are partakers of his divine nature. How many know that God's nature is a supernature? 
Super literally means above, all right? God is not uh, uh, unnatural. God is supernatural. What that means is it's above the realm of nature. What does it mean? So we are, because God's divine nature lives in us, and we, it is a supernature, and we are partakers of his divine nature, it is now natural for us to live supernaturally, and it is unnatural for us to live as mere men. Do you know a true, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, it is unnatural for you to sin. It is unnatural for you to be depressed. It is unnatural for you to be poor. It is unnatural for you to be sick. But we live as mere men. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Set your affection on things above. You see, let your mind recognize who you are and what he's done at the cross and receive the new reality. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4. He said, put off the old. He was speaking to believers. So he said, now that this is true, put it off and put on. Come on, some of us, we need to put off some things and we need to put on some things. But we need to put on the new man which was renewed, which the Bible says, which was created in the likeness of God, Ephesians 4.24. Was created, past tense. Listen, the enemy didn't want you to, we hear Christians say, we're all sinners. We're just people. We're just humans. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, we are men and women. Yes, we have a flesh and blood body. I get that. But the point I'm trying to make is we're called to live in the realm of glory. We're called to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Your citizenship is above. You are not called to live this way. Why is it that a Christian who's come out of the world, who's come out of bondage, and yet they've not made the step fully into the realm of the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, and power, right, is miserable because they're stuck. They're stuck out, but they're not in. They're in this wilderness, and the wilderness is in here mostly. You don't understand that God has called you to live in. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You cannot live the life God has called you to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, it changes everything. When you're born again, the Bible says, you know what? The word born again is not even in the Bible. It actually says born from above. It's the Greek word anothen. And anothen literally means this, born from another realm. When Jesus said, unless you are born again, he was saying, unless you're born from another realm. (laughs) Guess what realm he was talking about? 
the heavenly realm, the kingdom of God. He's saying you've got to be born of that. Listen to me. Okay. All right. I'm going to somehow get into this. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17. Let's go there. I want to show you something. 1 Kings 17. Elijah, the great man of God. What an incredible man of God. I mean, come on, think about him. (laughs) Wow. So here's Elijah, 1 Kings 17. What happens, it says, starting at verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Kerith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. All right. So we know in the next chapter, verse one, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Okay. Now, what I want you to see here is these were very dark days, just like we saw in Isaiah 60. And Elijah is called by the Lord as a prophet to confront the wickedness in the land, to deal with Jezebel, to deal with Ahab, and to bring the people to a place, the lowest place they've ever been. God is saying, I'm not, I've had it. Enough is enough. You're all not going to keep doing this. You're going to now experience my judgment. So God calls for a famine. He said, I'm going I'm to stop the rain. There won't even be dew. And he said, I, Elijah, you have the power. Notice that. Elijah says, God is not going to send any rain. God isn't going to send any rain God won't even allow there to be dew on the grass except in my word. God's going to listen to the prophet. Woo! That's, does that say that in, your, in the Bible? It does. Thank you. So what happens is during this time, of course, the Lord calls for this famine he calls for a drought, and as we saw in 1 Kings 18.4, there's a severe famine in the land. Things are not good. And what happens, I'm just giving this a quick overview here. What happens is Elijah is told by the Lord, go hide yourself in the brook Kerith. That's how you pronounce it in Hebrew, Kerith. Go hide yourself there. Interestingly, A cursory glance at this would be like God told Elijah to go hide himself at the brook for the sole purpose of provision for his preservation. In other words, I'm going to send the birds. They're going to feed you the ravens in the morning at night. 
You got water. They're going to bring bread and meat. I'm going to take care of you during this famine. Come on now. How many know that God is faithful and he can take care of us during any situation? We are not part of the economy of this world. We are part of the kingdom economy. And God looks after his people when we learn how to walk in the spirit and we're obedient to his voice. So what happens is the Lord tells him to go hide. And it actually tells us in verse 17 that Elijah listened to what the Lord said and he did according to the word of the Lord, verse 5, and he went and he stayed by the brook Kareth, which flows into the Jordan. Okay, now what is happening here is Elijah listens to the Lord pronounces the word, then he does what the Lord says. He's completely obedient. And during that time, which James says was for three and a half years, Elijah is hidden. He's hidden. Now, he went and dwelt there. He stayed there, depending on which translation you look at. In the Hebrew, the word means to make your residence. It didn't speak about, Elijah wasn't thinking like, man, I'm just going to pitch a tent and hopefully we'll get out of this thing in the next couple of months. Remember when COVID happened and we heard all these words, it'll be gone by the spring, it'll be over in three weeks, in a month. And, and listen to me. And, and I had the, the, the very clear sense in which the Holy Spirit told me they're going to be happening for a long time. I'm not putting any date on it, but I'm just saying. Elijah knew that he wasn't just going to be there for a short period of time. This wasn't going to be a few weeks. He wasn't just going to ride out the storm. He wasn't, like, Elijah knew he's going to be there for a while. But he did what the Lord told him to do. What happens is during this time, I want you to think about this. Everything is bad in Israel and Samaria. It's getting bad. And Elijah is there by himself. God's taking care of him. But think about how boring it would be for most of us to be Elijah. We don't have any friends. It's like being in lockdown for three and a half years. I mean, you, nobody, just you in lockdown <laughs> for three and a half years, right? You got no iPhone. You got no video games. You don't got Netflix. You can't binge, you know, on Netflix. Like, like what do you got, man? You got birds bringing you, bringing you meat and bread, and you got a brook. Like, you can't even get a can of soda. I mean, it's bad, and, and you don't even have anybody to talk to. Like no one. He's there by himself. Huh. So you're either going to break through or you're going to break down. I mean, if this thing ain't going to change you, it's going to make you crazy. And so what happens is here's Elijah. And God is saying to Elijah, Elijah, you think it's bad over there? He said... You're not up for a cakewalk yourself. This is going to be hard on you, Elijah. 
because he says, I want you to hide here. I have a purpose for you here. In fact, the very word that is translated hide is a very powerful word. It's, it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament in reference to the secret place. I want, I want to show you this. I want to show you this, that God is actually telling Elijah that he wants him to go into the secret place and spend time with him. In other words, this isn't just about provision for preservation. This is all about preparation for promotion. Some of us want to go to the next level, but we're not going to go to the next level until we grow to the next level. So here he is in the secret place, in hiding. It's like God says, time out. He called for a pause. Time out. So here is Elijah in the secret place. As I said, the word literally can be translated hide or secret place. And here's an example of it. It's Psalm 31 verse 20. Psalm 31 verse 20. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. The word hide and the word secret, the same words in the Hebrew language. You will hide them in the secret place. There's a place that God is calling his church to in this season. You see, Elijah was powerful. God used him to bring a nation, to shut down a whole nation. Put the brakes on a whole nation. But God says to Elijah, Elijah, I am going to do something powerful. When this is all said and done, when it's over, I'm going to use you powerfully. Because you're going to call the whole nation back to me. And single-handedly, you are going to see the people en masse, great multitudes, repent and come back to me. And Elijah, I need to prepare you. You're not ready. The word carith or cherith is a very interesting word. In the Hebrew language, it means at least three things. Number one, it means the place of separation. Number two, it means to cut or to prune. Number three, it means the place of the cutting of covenant. God said, Elijah, Elijah, I am going to prepare you to be used powerfully by me. But before I can do that, he said, I've got to bring you to that place where I cut off and prune those things in your life that are not bearing fruit. And even the areas in which you bore fruit, he said, I'm going to prune it so you bear more fruit. 
He said, Elijah, I'm going to separate you from man so you can learn what it means to know God. Because those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. The word know is yaga in Hebrew. It means to know personally, experientially, and intimately. It's not like I know who wrote a book, like, you know, like the author, because I said, no, I don't know that. I read the book, but I don't know him personally or her personally. You can read the book and know the word of God and not know the God of the word because the Pharisees did that. So Elijah, I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to do this work in you. I'm going to show you I'm a covenant-keeping God, and I'm faithful. Listen to me. When we know that he is the God that keeps his covenant, it emboldens us. It causes us to not be afraid of anything it causes us to launch out and even no matter how successful we get in the natural because we know this God who keeps his covenant we walk before him in fear and trembling and we know who he is no matter how big name we become we stay small we stay broken because we know that it's all about him going back to my dream y'all listen to this please <clears throat> statistics were just revealed a study had been done in 2020 in the America on the state of the church in COVID they said 4,000 churches shut down in the year 2020 in America 4,000 15,000 ministers left the ministry in the year 2020, 15,000. Too hard. I, I, I wanna be very careful how I say this because I am compassionate and I understand that ministry is not easy. But can I take it to another place? Ministry is impossible. If you try to do it in the flesh, if you try to do it in your own strength, you're going to burn out, you're going to stress out, you, you're going you're to allow what people say and do, even though they shouldn't say and do it, even church people, mostly church people, you're going to allow it to get to you if you don't learn how to live in the glory. If you don't transition to the place that all that matters is knowing God like Elijah, you're not going to be able to stand. We're living in a day when there is a great a falling away taking place. Years ago, I was preaching somewhere, and I, it was a conference, and I, speaker after speaker got up. I was part of a, a particular organization. They got up to speak, and as they got up to speak, my spirit was just so grieved. I said, Lord, there's no anointing. They're all talking about, they're not talking about the power of God. They're not talking about the work of the spirit. They're just giving us, one of them spoke on community exegesis. 
I will teach you how to exegete your community so you can tailor your ministry to be culturally relevant and meet the needs in your community. And all these pastors that are part of a large spirit-filled organization that I used to be part of before I got delivered are like lapping it up. Oh, this is what we need. Oh, we need this. And I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, this is so grievous. I feel the heart of God. And my wife has a vision. And she sees Jesus standing on the stage and his hands are open. And he's inviting all these pastors to come to him. And no one's responding. This was in Jerusalem where it happened. And he stops and he looks And no one's responding. So he, and this happens three or four times in her vision. This is an open vision she had. And no one is responding to Jesus. When you read Revelation 3, and he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone opens the door, hears my voice, opens the door, come in and sup. Please don't think that's Jesus speaking to sinners. We take that out of context. He's speaking to the church of Laodicea. And he's saying, you're all having church, but I'm not even in your midst. Jesus was not even welcomed as the guest of honor. But yet he gloriously humbles himself and condescends asking for permission to come into his church. That's religion. Religion is church, rites, rituals, worship, prayer, praise, teaching, preaching, no presence, no anointing, no Jesus. I have pastored churches throughout the years. And I love pastoring. But I, I, I have been in churches, at least in the beginning stage, probably at least once, where if I wasn't a pastor, I would not attend that church. <laughs> but there's only one thing worse than attending a church, uh, like pastoring a church you wouldn't attend. And that's pastoring a church Jesus doesn't attend. But yet it happens. I was speaking at a conference not too long ago. <clears throat> there was a group of pastors there. When it was over, they came to me and they said, we want to talk to you. And you could see they were stirred. They said, we really appreciate what you shared tonight. It stirred us up. We need to get back to prayer. We need to get back to the fire of God. We need to get back to the anointing. And I said, get back to the anointing? What are you saying? He said, Glenn, this is the first time we've felt the anointing in years. Pastor after pastor, there's about seven of them, eight of them said to me, the anointing was on you. And she said, that's unusual. We didn't even realize 
what it was like to not have the anointing, but we know what it's like to see and feel it and experience it. It was that bad. Right now, just two weeks ago, I believe it was three weeks ago, the fastest growing church in America, the pastor was exposed for having been going multiple affairs. This church is part of a particular network that touts itself as we will teach you how to plant churches and break the 200 barrier quickly so you can grow, uh, you know, just, just exponentially and we'll teach you how to grow and fill the building up. You'll have lots of people, lots of money, lots of resources, but they don't want to preach the cross. They don't preach the cross. They don't preach holiness. They don't welcome the Holy Spirit. Right now, that movement is being shaken to its foundations as pastor after pastor after pastor in the past six months is being exposed of their biggest churches in America for having fair after affair after affair. They're being shaken. God is visiting his church just like he said in Malachi 3, I will be as a refiner's fire. I will come and I will refine. <clears throat> Elijah comes out of the secret place. Listen, to, watch this. He stands, the word of the Lord comes to him, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. I'm about to send rain. He goes and he tells Ahab, okay, Ahab, God's gonna send rain. And what ends up taking place <clears throat> at this point is Elijah calls for, for a showdown, right? Because there's no repentance from Ahab. Ahab isn't like, oh my gosh, Elijah, there you are. We are so sorry. We repent. We've been evil. We've been wrong. Oh, please ask God to forgive us. No, the first thing that Ahab says when he sees Elijah is, what do you want, troubler of Israel? It's because of you we've been going through all this. And Elijah's like, I don't think so. Your wickedness. And Jezebel and the idolatry and the evil in Israel has brought this upon you. So, let's see what God's going to do about it. Showdown at the OK Corral. <clears throat> Stands before the people. People of Israel, listen to me. How long will you falter between two Opinions. If God, the Lord is God, serve him. Baal is God, serve him. How long will you falter? Now watch, watch. The scripture says, the people answered him not a word. Think about that. How many feel that you probably get pretty stirred up and moved if Elijah showed up and preached to you? You might hit the altar a few times. You, you might do some serious repenting, <laughs> but not these people. Their hearts were so hardened that the preaching of the great man of God, Elijah, did nothing. His preaching could not penetrate the hardness and the callousness of their hearts. Watch this. So Elijah says, all right, seeing that you are 
So blase, you're not committed, let's watch what happens. We're gonna pray and we're gonna call down fire on a sacrifice, rebuild the altar. He said, you, call, you go first. Call on the name of your gods, right? And, and the God that answers by fire, he's God, right? And so guess what the people say? It is well spoken. Sounds good. Let's see what happens. So they start, you know, I mean, they're cutting themselves with lances. They're doing all this stuff. And then finally, you know, evening comes and they're calling on, on Baal. Nothing happens. No answer, no voice, no, no response, no fire. And Elijah, man, he's, he's just like taunting them, right? Where is your God? Is he on vacation? You know, in the Hebrew, what it says is, is he in the bathroom? You know, is he, you know, is he taking a, you know what I'm saying? That's what it says in the original Hebrew. That's what he's saying to them. Come on now, Elijah's a man's man. Come on now. Right? He's pretty straight up. He's just like, is this where you go? And so he's mocking them and, and nothing. So he says, okay, now watch. And he rebuilds the altar. Then he, he, you know what he does? He, he throws the sacrifice of the water. And, and then he prays a prayer. Very simple prayer. Because powerful public prayer is predicated on passionate private praying. Elijah says this. He says, Lord, let it be known in all Israel that you are God. And that you're turning the hearts of these people back to you. I'm your servant. I've done all these things at your word. He prays. Boom. I'm telling you, man, the fire of God comes down from heaven, hits that place. I mean, it, the water, everything. I mean, consumes everything. And the people cry out and say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they prostrate themselves. Listen, we are in a place in history right now where preaching is no longer getting the job done. We used to be able to preach, get people motivated, get them stirred up a bit, maybe convict them. And this is not happening now. Gen Z is the first generation in history of this nation that is post-Christian. Gen Z is post-Christian they are a mission field. They are pagan. Gen Z is the first generation in the history of America. We're at that place. I prayed for, I was ministering somewhere recently. This is why I love ministering to, to teenagers and, and young adults. And so I get a word of knowledge. Somebody who has significant hearing loss in your ears, come forward. I see these young girls talking immense to themselves. Finally, one of the girls gets up. She comes to the front. She's probably, I don't know, 17, 18 years of age. And I said to her, was that you? And she goes, yeah. She said, I, you know, I'm like 30% hearing in one ear, maybe 50% in the other, whatever. And I said, okay, so I'm going to pray for you and the Lord's going to heal you. And she says, what? I said, yeah. So I put my hand on her and I prayed, boom, her ears popped open. This was in Chicago. Her ears popped open. She freaks out. Guess what she says? Oh my gosh, you have psychic powers and you get, you know, kinetic abilities. 
her, her grid, her, her worldview did not include Jesus. And I said, no, 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 no. It's like in Acts, these men are sent from the gods. And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, no, we're just men like you. We're servants of Jesus. Okay? That's what we're living now. This is a day in which we live in now. This is a post-Christian, post-modern day. And it's almost like pre-Christian. But let me tell you something, that God is ready to show his glory to this generation. And the question this morning is not where is the God of Elijah, but where are the Elijahs of God? Where are the Elijahs of God? Who will consecrate themselves in the secret place. Who will not seek after the accolades of men. Who will preach the word of God in obedience to what the Lord says. Who will declare it unabashedly and unashamedly. And will prophesy what needs to be prophesied. Will speak to the nation. But walk in the glory. Walk in the power. That they can bring the fire of God down. And manifest it to this generation. Come on let's stand to our feet this morning. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Now remember, what we've looked at here is we see isolation from the presence of God. We see separation of the prophet to the Lord God. Then we see a demonstration of the goodness of God. The people are unrepentant. They're not sorrowful, but God still pours out his, demonstrates his goodness and his glory and sends the fire even though. Now the last thing is this. We have demonstration but we've not had restoration. Why? Because until the rain came, the land would not be healed. So what did Elijah do? The Lord speaks to him, go to the top of Mount Carmel. He goes to the top. This is where the word that you, sh- Hosea ten twelve. He goes to the top of Mount Carmel. You know, I had this planned. And when I was driving here from Lake Charles this morning, the Lord told me, I want you to preach on Elijah. And what he does is he goes to the top of the mountain, he prays. He puts his head in an oriental birthing position. His posture is an oriental birthing position. He prays. Nothing. He said, the word of the Lord came to him, I'm going to send rain. Later on, he says, for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. But he still had to go and posture himself and pray it to pass. We have a lot of declaration, but not enough intercession. We, when in dark times, we need intercession. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, nothing. Elijah, one more time, seventh, the number of fulfillment. He prays, sends a man out. What do you see? He says, I see a cloud, it's just small, like the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, That's it. That's it. 
God's fulfilled his word. Now go. The rain is going to come. Listen to me. If you track this sermon, which I just preached, the one verse in scripture that encapsulates the entire process very succinctly but powerfully is Hosea 10, 12. Sow in righteousness, reap in mercy. God answered them not because they were good, but because he is merciful. Sow in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. Deal with the heart, church. Deal with your, your complacency, church. Deal with your lukewarmness, church. Deal with your prayerlessness, church. Deal with all the time you're wasting doing nothing, church. Deal with all the stuff that is not pleasing to God, church. You fall from your first love, church. You don't weep between the porch and the altar anymore. You don't pray for the lostness in your own family anymore. We need to get broken. Break up your follow ground for it is time. Listen. To seek the Lord until he comes. And reigns righteousness. Do you see the pattern? In the story of Elijah? Powerful. Powerful. But he said you got to break up your follow ground. You got a soul. But understand this church. It is time to seek the Lord, but deal with the follow ground. What is follow ground? It is ground that was once fertile, but because of neglect, it became hardened, overgrown with thorns and thistles. No matter how life-giving the seed is, nothing will grow on follow ground. Listen to me. Some of us, we've been hearing a powerful message You might be here this morning and God's speaking to you but your heart is so hard that this seed just like bouncing off your heart. The enemy comes. The Bible says like a bird that takes that seed and he just steals it. You know the answer? Break up your follow ground. Before we leave this morning I want to invite you to come forward Not just to say a nice, quick little prayer, but I want to invite you to come forward and take some time to deal with your heart. If you are at your happiest when you interact with people, love creating new dishes in the kitchen, or simply have a cheerful smile and a heart for service, the hotel industry wants to hear from you. The hotel industry offers competitive pay, flexible schedules, generous benefits, and some exclusive perks. It's a team-oriented community that supports each other with 200-plus career pathways available and a fast track to senior-level positions. Check them out. Visit thehotelindustry.com to learn why this is a place to grow, to succeed, to stay. Go to thehotelindustry.com today.